Can't imagine celebrating Christmas without Christ. Can't imagine just going about being about traditions and giving gifts and receiving gifts without Christ. He makes all the difference, does he not? Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope good memories were created, at least one. I know some of you had a, a hard Christmas, I mean a hard Thanksgiving, and this Christmas season might be hard as well. Um, expectations maybe aren't being met. The loss of a loved one. Um, it's good. We can still celebrate even in the disappointments. Let me read out of the book of Habakkuk for a moment. Habakkuk was in a disappointing time, and yet he had, he was able to rejoice a little bit. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord, the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Just as I wouldn't want to take Jesus out of Christmas, I don't want to take him out of Thanksgiving, too. I hope you had a time to sit and reflect upon the goodness that he's done for you, he's done in you, the good things he's put onto your plate in life, the friends, the job, the opportunities to be an ambassador for him. So many blessings upon blessings. You know, as we get going through life and we don't stop and pause, we just forget. We just forget all the goodness. So making it that practice, this morning, I, this morning I parked in the very back of the parking lot and I set my time for two minutes to say, okay, I'm just gonna re rapidly tell the Lord what I'm thankful for. And as you get going, it's like, wow, there's a lot to be thankful for. Thanksgiving used to not be one of my favorite holidays. Uh, Christmas was, got gifts, it was a long celebration. My birthday was a great holiday. Um, you know, Easter, my mom would buy us East uh, Seas candy. And so when I got things, I was excited. But Thanksgiving, eh, you know, we had some turkey. I'm not a big turkey fan. But we had, we had gravy and mashed potatoes. And it was really, okay, it was good. But then, you know, you feel icky. And you might go play basketball or something like that. Or, and then you're done. So it was like not one of my favorites. Until 23 years ago. 23 years ago, um, celebrated my first Thanksgiving with my new side of the family, the side of the family that my wife was born into. It was November 28, 1996. We had gotten married five days before on the 23rd. I hadn't, and we decided we celebrated at my in-law's house. And I hadn't really gotten to know my in-laws that well because they lived in Santa Maria. They still do. Well, my, my mother-in-law does at least. Um, and so I, it's not like we just traveled over there every weekend or they were around the corner. I met them three times, I think, before we got married. And it's not like they had this stellar picture of who I was. 
Well, they might have had a picture of who it was. Maybe it wasn't just Stiller. <laughs> I remember the first time I met him was at an olive garden in Santa Maria. We sat down there, and they asked me the most peculiar question I've ever been asked up to that point. Do you want salad? <laughs> I was like, I do not eat salad. I do not eat photosynthesized food. I am allergic to it. <laughs> when I do, I, I blow up like I have now. But really, I was like, no, I don't eat vegetables. Yuck, yuck, yuck. You know, they were like, really? They were shocked. Like, who doesn't eat vegetables? Next time I remember meeting my father-in-law was when I decided I wanted to ask Christina to marry me. I decided on a Saturday morning just to drive to Santa Maria unannounced. I got there three hours later thinking they would be there. Well, fortunately, my father-in-law was there. My mother-in-law was over at, at San Francisco in a conference. My father-in-law comes to the door. He's in shorts, tennis shoes, no shirt on. It was a hot summer's day, and he'd been working in the yard. And he <laughs> I still remember him. He goes, Michael. And he's looking over my shoulder. Hey, where's Christine? He goes, where's, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just showed up. You know, I didn't know what to say. I was nervous. And we sit down, we talk. And I go, Ralph, I said, I want to ask for Christine's hand in marriage. And he goes, well, it's like, oh, <laughs> this is not starting well at all. Well, we hope that you and Kathy would, we hope, Kathy and I would hope that you and Christine would just wait until you finish school. And then he said the magic word. Never forget it. I will never forget. He goes, but let me tell you, when he opened that door, I kicked it down like Bruce Lee and jumped in there. But if you guys think it's okay, we'll be for you. So, you know, here you got this impetuous 24-year-old going to his house, unannounced. And then the next thing I remember is I'm getting married, the day of my marriage. I forgot to shave the night before. And I didn't bring a razor here. And I asked my groomsmen, would you please go get me a razor so I can shave? He goes, oh, okay, okay. So he goes out and gets a razor. I don't know what he was thinking, but he brought back a rusty dull razor. I shaved, I bled, and it was on my tuxedo when my father-in-law walked into the room. I'll never forget, he walked in smiling, he saw me, and literally the smile went away, and he just was like, I cannot believe what I'm looking at, and, and he just walked out. Oh, so that was our, 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 our relationship basically up to that point in my mind. And on Thanksgiving Day, we get to the, my in-law's house, and, and my mother-in-law makes this typical spread, you know, vegetables, turkey, ham, all that. And she made french fries. Because <laughs> she knew I wouldn't eat vegetables. So she made me french fries. First time and last time she ever made french fries. But that said to me, you're loved, you're accepted, you're part of the family. You know, when it comes to Christmas, I have been, I've gone through the, through highs and lows. I used to be at a point where I'd love Christmas, couldn't wait for it, couldn't wait for all the movies. You know, it's a white Christmas. Um, Santa Claus on 34th Street or something like that. <laughs> but the best one, is It's a Wonderful Life. I'd watch that thing over and over and over again and celebrate by gifts and that. And then I went through a period of about a decade where it was like, bah, humbug. Nobody remembers the beginning of Christmas. No one says Merry Christmas. Starbucks doesn't do it, nobody does it, blah, 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 blah. 
you know, I, I just wanted to let, they, my wife goes, you want to get a Christmas tree? No. I will get a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree, the little one. Well, things change, though, when I put Christ back into Christmas. When I really remember it, it's about him, not about what everybody else does. And it's how I respond to him. And when I began to ponder and to think about all that he's done, it changed everything. You know, it changed my attitude to sit and to think, created thankfulness. And the one thing I want to share with you this morning, I want us to look at, to ponder together, is found in Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is a truth that has just resonated in my mind more and more the last few years. And I'm so grateful for it. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Sometimes when things become familiar, we forget their value. They don't lose value. We just forget it. For instance, we take a job, and we're so excited about the job. It's our dream job. It's a dream promotion. And we get working in it, working in it, and sometimes the work and the drudgery and the imperfections of the job begin to wear us down. And that which once held great value and brought us great joy begins to dissipate. It happens in marriages, you know? We go from dating, I still remember dating Christine, you know, we both work, she's a teacher, I'm in pest control, we have to be up early, and yet, you know, I'd get off work, go home, take a shower real quick, and then we go to eat dinner, we might come here and serve in the youth group on Wednesday nights, and then we'd go get dessert, get ice cream somewhere, and we'd be up till 12, one o'clock at night, you know? Two o'clock sometimes. I'd come in, Corey and I were, Corey Ogborn and I were roommates and be like, oh, he'd, he'd be just getting off work from the theater and be like, hey, let's talk for another hour. It's like, oh, I just had energy. I, was, I just couldn't wait to do this all over again the next day. 
now, 23 years later, sometimes it's like going, Christine, it's seven, can I just go to bed? And <laughs> but when I step back and I think, oh, what a precious gift I have in my wife. <sighs> yeah, I'll sit for another half hour, let's talk. Remembering reminds us of the value of things. Reminds us of the value of our children. Remember when we wanted children? Oh, I can't wait to have a child. Can't wait to, I just can't wait. We're going to name them this. We're going to name them that. Da, da, da. Then they come and then we get no sleep. And then they go through the terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible twelves, fifteens. <laughs> then we, we ponder and we step back and go, oh Lord, you have given me a precious child a precious son, a precious daughter. You're molding and shaping them. Thank you so much. So, so much. It's the same that happens with the word Emmanuel, God with us. We forget the value, the preciousness of that, of that word, of that meaning, that God is with us. Imagine if it didn't say God with us. Imagine if it said God apart from us. God far from us. Imagine what that would be like. He's not near. He's away. It'd be something like this. It'd be like a husband and wife having a child. And the wife gives birth, and the father says, you know what? I'm going to parent from afar, from away. I'm going to go ahead and FaceTime everything. I'll FaceTime uh, their time, you know, at school, their time playing sports, when they get hurt. Honey, you just click on the old FaceTime and I'll just watch it from far and observe it. I won't get down there on my knees. I won't pick them up. I won't go to the plays. I won't sit there and talk to them about life decisions. I'll just stand back, stand afar. Would we applaud that? Would we say, <laughs> oh, you nailed it, buddy. No, not at all. We applaud those who come down into the, into the valleys with us and rise with us on the hills of life. That's what we have to remember. God is not far, but he's close. Some have said that God is like a watchmaker. It's the watchmaker theory. It's like God created everything, and then he stepped back and just let it run on its own. Just watch from a distance, didn't interfere, didn't, you know, you're crying, okay, pull up your big, pull up your, pull up your, put your shoes on, let's get going. You know, does that sound very attractive? Does that sound very appealing, the watchmaker theory? Or is it Emmanuel? Does that, does that ring something? God with us. God with me. See, God with us is a theme in Scripture. It's not just happens in Matthew here, and it's like, poof, it's, this is unique. This is different. This is, this, is out of the, this is out of the ordinary. No, from the beginning, God wanted to be with us. From the very beginning, he wanted to walk with us and talk with us, and he wanted us to be with him. He wanted us to take him with us. We can go back through 
Genesis, like all the way through Revelation, and see this pattern. In Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see a couple things. And we can go on and on and on, but let me just point a few out. We see, well, let me, I got my slides in order, misorder. God creates us. It says that he formed us out of the dust of the earth. And then he gave us life. He sprinkled fairy dust on us. He sprinkled powdered sugar on us like a Pillsbury Doughboy, and poof, we came up. No, he doesn't say that. That's not how he did it. It says he breathed into us. How personal is that? He breathed into us. Imagine somebody giving like CPR. Someone's, someone's having a heart attack right there. They're, they're, they need CPR. And no one steps in to help them. Well, you know, I'll, I'll just pray for them. Just sprinkle a little dust on them. Maybe they'll get better. No, but when somebody takes that person and gives them mouth to mouth, how precious is that? Very precious. God does the same thing. He's very intimate with us. But not only that, he places us in a place. In a garden, it says. Beautiful garden. And he didn't just leave us there, but he helps us to cultivate it. He gives us tasks to do. He says, name the animals. He didn't just give us abilities and just say, figure it out on your own. Oh, no. Like a good father, he guides us and gives us instructions because he's with us, and we need to be with him. Not only that, we see in Genesis chapter 12, God comes, we see a variety, God comes to a variety of people within the scriptures, but especially Abraham, the friend of God. We see that God comes to him, God eats with him, God talks to him about the ways of life, how to do justice and faithfulness, love and truth, because God is with him. How precious is that? He's not far from him. And then when Abraham dies and his offspring become a nation and he's having them move out of, rescues them from Egypt and has them move, go on the run, not on the run, but really traveling and then before they take the land that's promised to them, he says, hey, when we move, we're going to move together. And I've got my tent, a tabernacle, the place of dwelling, where I dwell. And I want you to set it up right in the middle of the whole camp so that everyone faces me, Exodus chapter 32. All the tribes face me. See, he wasn't far. He was near. And he leads them by day through a cloud, at night through light, gives them shade, gives them light. He's with them providing, just like he was from the beginning. He wants to be with us and us to be with him. And then it goes on. It goes on. We see he's in the temple. We see he's with the people, his people when they go into exile, you know. Genesis, Jeremiah 29, 11, spoken to those people. He's going to be with them. He's going to provide for them. He's going to help them be fruitful and multiply. He's not forgotten. He's not far away. He's very, very close. And we read what Jesus does. He makes us close. We're adopted, Romans chapter 8. We get to call him Father. 
he dies, Jesus dies in the temple, and the temple, the veil is torn from top to bottom, meaning that we have access. And then you go to, even go to Revelation. He says, hang on, don't depart from me, because one day we are going to rule and reign together. Revelation chapter three. <laughs> You're not just gonna be just doormat slaves. We get to be with him using our gifts and abilities to cultivate this new heaven and new earth, whatever that may be. Wonderful truth. That is seen through scripture. But not everybody likes that truth. Not everybody is, they hear that, are they fond of it? Some people like the watchmaker theory more, like keeping God at bay, keeping God far from them. They don't want to listen to him. They don't want to rejoice with them. They want to do things their own way. We see this happening to the person who first received the promise, who first was told, behold, a virgin shall conceive, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I'm going to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and read out of that for a moment. That, that prophecy was given to a man, by the, a man by the name of King Ahaz. Ahaz was the king in Judah. At that time, Israel had had a civil war. They separated north and south. In the north, was the, they called it Israel. In the south, we call it Judah at this point. And King Ahaz, who was, a son of, who was the grandson of Uzziah, son of Jotham, who had a godly grandfather and a godly father, decided not to walk in the ways of God. Decided to do things his own way. And he faced a problem in a period of his life that God tried to encourage him with. See, his kinsman, the king in Israel, had made a compact or an agreement with the king in Syria to come and take King Ahaz out of the loop. They wanted to defeat him. I mean, he had some precious land. You know, those trade routes key, bring in big money. So they want to come in and take his property, take his kingdom, and rule. And Ahaz is nervous. He knows that they are a superior force. And the Lord, who is with his people, even when we turn from him, um, here's this starting at uh, verse three in Isaiah seven. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, meet Ahaz, you and your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the sons of Ramalia, because Syria and Ephraim, Ephraim's Israel, and the sons of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the sons of the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. In other words, their plans are not gonna come to fruition. Again, the Lord, uh, verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, 
Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Ahaz received that and did not rejoice in it. How do we know he did not rejoice in it? How do we know he did not say, yes, they're done. My God, is, my God reigns. My God is with me. Why did he not do that? How do we know? Because in 2 Kings chapter 16, we hear that he went and met the king of Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. And when he goes up there, he meets him in Damascus. And when he goes up there, he sees an altar to a foreign god. And it mesmerizes him. So much so that he sent word back to the high priest, or the priest Uriah, and says, build it for me. And gives him the specs. And when he returns, he sees it and is well pleased. And what he does next is he takes the altar of the Lord and removes it and places this altar there and makes sacrifices. I don't know. Ahaz did not remember well. He did not sit and ponder the promises to Abraham, his grandfather, great, great, great grandfather and beyond great. He didn't remember all the Lord had done for his ancestors and bring them out of Egypt, providing for them 40 years in the wilderness, setting up his, his other great-grandfather, King David, and the promises made to him he'd forgotten. And because he'd forgotten, he didn't stop and ponder. He became mesmerized by something else and became fearful by some other people because he forgot to remember that God was with him. This is the very thing the devil loves to do. The devil, back in Genesis chapter three, started something. He started a division. Division between man and God and man and man. We see that happening. Before, just as one and two, God's, we're interacting, we're listening, we're obeying, I guess we're enjoying all that. And then in Genesis chapter three, we decide to raise our hands in defiance and say, no, we'll do it our way. You are not enough. We don't trust you. And then we see Adam and Eve who were just at the end of chapter two, one, becoming two again, blaming one another for things done driving the bus over one another. You didn't know there was a bus in the garden, did you? Well, it sure was, and they had the keys. And so he loves to make a division. He loves to separate us. He loves to isolate us. Like Jesus, 
came to stop what the devil had started. In the book of 1 John, chapter 3, John writes this simple truth. He says, Jesus came to undo the works of the devil. The works of the devil was to separate us from our God, to separate us from our maker, to separate us from one another. That is what he came to do. And Jesus says, nope, I'm coming to restore that. I'm coming to save you from your sins and to have it be Emmanuel, not only today, but forevermore. Remember what eternal life is? What John, how the apostle John defines eternal life? In John chapter 17, he says, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's a relationship. It's a tight relationship. It's an intimate relationship. God with us. The question is, are we going to be with God? Are we going to be with God? God's with us. Is us going to be with God? I have a, I have a saying I've done lately, probably the last year or so, is, and it refers mainly to me, but it can refer to all of us at times. We can be confessing Christians and practicing atheists. We can confess Christ, say how beautiful he is, and then walk it alone, go it alone, do it alone. Huh, so easy to do that. I have, sometimes it just blows my mind sometimes, just how slow of a learner I am. It's unbelievable. I have struggled with jealousy, oh man, for a long, long time. I just grew up in a home where, where you know, I always had to be careful that, you know, I grew up in the home that I grew up in. I was just, you know, had to be cautious that I never got hurt. So that's probably more it. I never wanted to be hurt by anything, anybody. So keeping people at bay, always having that eye on, on things and, and little things can get me jealous. I don't know, about a month, no, probably about two months ago now. I was really struggling for about 48 hours. It was a terrible, terrible storm of jealousy. And I just said, Lord, for 20, no, 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 no. For 34 years, I've struggled with this. I still remember the day that I said, I will never be like that. I will always protect my back. And I said, Lord, I've not been able to overcome it. I need your help. <laughs> Man, did he answer quickly that and began to show me how I, how I bowed to the God of fear and how the God of fear is a cruel, cruel God. But because I included him, because God was with me and I was with God, brought him into it, huh, it makes all the difference in the world. makes all the difference in the world. So, here's a question. Are you inviting Jesus to your Christmas dinner? Are you keeping him away? Are you inviting him to your Christmas celebration? Are you keeping him at bay? You know? When you plan the parties, when you decorate the trees, where's Jesus? Are you remembering him? Have you kept him right at the center of things? Maybe this year when you string the lights, 
on the tree, on the house, on the motorhome, on the car, whatever you string your lights at. Remember the one who created the lights, the sun, the moon, the stars, has come to be with us, has come to save us from our sins, of whom I'm the worst, and yet he's willing to be with me. As you decorate the tree, remember the one who created the trees of the forest has come into the world to decorate you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's with you. He's doing a great work in your life. Remember that. Bring him with you. Bring him with you not only to the Christmas season, but every day of your life. Don't leave him out of any aspect of your life. Don't leave him out of your school life. You're struggling in biology? Ask him. He's the best biologist ever. He knows all the answers. Struggling in English? History? Uh, he's a teacher of teachers. Don't leave him out of your academic life. Struggling in your marriage? Don't leave him out. He's a faithful husband. He knows how to make us faithful. Are you hurting? He has compassion. His mercies are new every morning. Don't leave him out. He's right there with us. Don't forget him. You got people who are sandpaper or difficult people in your life? Oh, don't leave the Lord out. Ask him to help you to love them, minister to them. It's amazing what he'll do. He will answer that because he knows how to minister to the unlovely. He's ministered to me and all of us. He knows how to make us like him, to be Christ-like. Don't leave him out of your hobbies. Don't leave him out of your best friend relationships. Invite him to every aspect. Are you waiting for that medical report to come in? Ah, don't leave him out of it. Struggling with depression, sadness, don't leave him out of it. Tell him. I'm not telling you that it's like fairy dust, pixie dust, it's just going to all get better overnight, but it will get better. Our perspective will change. Just like my perspective changed with Christmas, there's still commercialism. There's still people ungrateful. Just give gifts. Just want to get gifts. Nothing's changed. But when we remember Jesus, when we remember who he is, remember that he wants to be with us, and we allow him by being with him, God with us and us with him, it radically changes every aspect of our life. It, it radically changes how we see and experience life.